Hello, this is Steve from Retro Man Blog, and welcome to this very special edition of Retro Sonic Podcast, where I welcome into our studio Paul Sattery, rock photographer extraordinaire. Hello, Paul. Yeah, how are you doing, Steve? Not bad. It's been a long while. It has, hasn't it? It's been a long so, while. It seems like forever. Old, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as regular listeners to the podcast will know, Paul was. Um, Pretty much there very, at the very beginning of um, Retrosonic Podcasts, maybe, what, over 10 years, I think, we've been doing it now, 9, 10 years? Yeah, we've had a break, and uh, things are, you know, just getting back to normal, really, aren't they? Yeah, just about, back to gigging and events, and we've got lots of things to talk about, um, so thanks, Paul, and um, I thought what we'd do, as it's been a while since we've spoke, um, I've noticed that you've been pretty busy recently, um, your photos popping up all over the place, and... Uh, I thought it would be a good chance to have a chat and catch up with what you've been up to. And um, unfortunately, most of the times we, we meet and do these things, we have to talk about the, the sad passing of some of our favourite musicians. And, you, well, uh, that's yeah. right. We, we do. And, uh, of course, you know, I was uh, really sad and recently to hear about Jeff Beck's death earlier this year. Um, when I was a teenager, I listened avidly to the Yardbirds, especially mm. because Paul Samuel Smith, their bassist, and Jim McCarthy, the drummer, had finished at Hampton Grammar School in 1961, yeah. uh, the very year I began. And yeah. we all thought of the band as our own. Yeah, because well, you're a local boy, aren't you? It's all that West London R&B scene. That's know. right, you know. I mean, Clapton was gone, and he had joined John Mayall's blues band by the time that, that by the time they had their first hit, For Your Love, mm. in, in 1965, you know, yeah. uh, followed up by Heart for the Soul. I mean, we loved those songs. Well, classics, aren't they? You know? They were, they were, you know. And then, um, and then the next year in... 1966, I think, or maybe early 67, uh, Shapes of Things became another massive hit. And, uh, you know, Jeff Beck's feedback-laden Eastern-inspired guitar solo um, has been seen by many to be the Hmm. beginnings of psychedelia. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good point, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hendrix evidently loved it and learned from it. And... uh, it was a truly groundbreaking track. Yeah, I don't think I know Jeff Beck and obviously all the musicians that came from the Yardbirds and mm. around that scene. Obviously, a big went on to greater things, but I think the Yardbirds as a band really got that much credit. Do you think? You know, they had a lot of lineup changes. Mm. Mm. That was the thing. They had a lot of lineup changes. I mean, Keith Ralph stayed with the band. Paul Samuel Smith, uh, he'd left the band in 66 to become a record producer. Clapton had left in 65. And then Jimmy Page came and joined the band they, for a while. They had Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, I thought, um, you know, I saw, I, I saw them play all these songs at their gig at Borough Road College in, uh, in Isleworth on a Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah, go on. Uh, I think in... Just down the road. Yeah, I think in uh, 66 or 67. Mm. You know, mm. the place was... Uh, smoking spliff was almost de rigueur <laughs> back in those days. Uh, you weren't doing that, of course. No. Oh, of course not. No, no, I was far too young. We thought it'd be uh, legalised in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. you know, and here we are, 60 years later, this still isn't the case. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. God, you can still get busted for a bag of spliff in your pocket. Unbelievable, isn't it, eh? Terrible, isn't it? But we're not going to get busted for playing the Yardbirds, are we? So We're not. So let's yeah. play 
shapes of things. Shapes of things before my eyes Just teach me to despise Fantastic guitar sound, that. and it that, still sounds so fresh. I mean, we just we just played your original vinyl single, right? Which you're not going to hear on the podcast, unfortunately. But I mean, we played it here, yeah. And the sound, that guitar sound, is raw. It's just punk as fuck, isn't it? Really. Well, I tell you what, the grooves are deep on that 55 year old single, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Really amazing. Yeah, and yeah. that guitar solo is just yeah. mind blowing, really, isn't oh, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just it sounds like it has all this Eastern influence. Yeah, almost yeah. sounds like a sitar yeah. in the background. I mean, it probably predates the Beatles hippie periods oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know so it's uh, it must have influenced an awful lot of people yeah. that record well, that's what I mean I don't think they do get enough I know that they're, they're well respected I band, but I think they credit, get enough credit you know yeah. for, for, this, for, for what they did and what, what mm. sort of all the great sounds that they sprung from and of course they might have had Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page in, in the same lineup, but they didn't have me and you on air guitar together mm. which we were just mm. luckily no luckily it's not a video podcast but we were yeah getting on down with our air guitars to that it's just a great we were, track, we were. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but um that uh, you know for me i mean that obviously is um is the uh as i say it's one of the first ever probably the first psychedelic record ever released and mm. um mm. you know Sad also to see the death of David Crosby. The birds just blew me away as a young teenager. 
Mm. You know, I, I spent the summer of 65 visiting my cousin Terry in Miami, mm. my first ever trip to the US when I was 15. Mm. I was blown away just listening to that AM radio station. There was an AM radio station called WQAM. Mm. Wonderful WQAM. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the music I heard that summer. I was there in July and August. That was the summer of '65. Mm. It was like it was like um, you know. I mean, the Rolling Stones, Satisfaction, the Beach Boys, California Girls, Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone, Barry Maguire's Eve of Destruction, mm. but. Most of all, I remember listening to the bird singles, which my cousin had, right. Mr. Tambourine Man, which had been a number one earlier that year, and All I Really Want to Do, the B side of which feel a whole lot better. I preferred to yeah. the A side, and uh, you know, yeah, Feel yeah, A Lot so. Better has always been one of my favourite songs. Hard to believe uh, it was a B side, isn't it? Yeah, and um, the Flaming Groovies version is pretty damn good too. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I came home, I found out, when I came home from the States, I found out all my mates had been to the local Richmond Jazz and Blues Festival that summer and seen the Who and the Yardbirds, and I was really jealous. But I'd been to Miami, and I came home with a Birds album, Mr. Tambourine Man, and they all wanted to listen to it, right? (laughs) (laughs) And And then the next year, of course, in 66, the Birds released Fifth Dimension, which uh, included the song Eight Miles High. Another good psychedelic track. Early Another psychedelic. great psychedelic track. And, and the meaning wasn't lost on us 16-year-old teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Dope was omnipresent in, in, in West London, and we were having a great laugh. Yeah. But evidently, the reference, the high reference, didn't do the band any favours in the States. And a lot yeah, of yeah, re- yeah. radio stations didn't play oh, right, yeah, that yeah, record yeah, yeah. because they thought it was an you know overt reference to drugs when actually yeah. it had actually been written about an, a, a plane trip to the UK. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Um, but David Crosby admitted later that there was an actual double entendre. Yeah, I can We knew that. We knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, it's a great psychedelic track and uh, it's released like slightly later than Shapes of Things, which makes it rock music's second psychedelic track. This is Eight Miles High. Oh, 
Fantastic bit of early psychedelia. I mean, it's just amazing. You've got that sort of free-form jazz guitar bursting out everywhere. It's like, again, it's got that Eastern influence, but it's just totally weird. And then you've got the beautiful melodic vocals, haven't you? Yes. Total juxtaposition against that weird guitar. It's just... It's sensational. Yeah. Imagine, Fantastic. imagine what we thought as 16-year-olds when we just first heard that. It was mm. utterly sensational. Yeah, well, yeah, because I can't. Yeah. I mean, for us, for me, being a, a youngster, mm. I was well born in '65. A great year. We touched on that earlier, mm. but you know, I can't really imagine how groundbreaking that would have been to hear it for the first time, like you did, right at that that when it was released. Because we're used to this sort of sound now, aren't we? Because they, I mean, them and the Velvet Underground are pretty much the template for well, all the indie bands that were to come. You know, all the Creation Records, all the in, indie pop music. Well, we we just couldn't believe it because. Um, Everything that came out was groundbreaking. There was something new happening. Mm. You know, 65, 66, 67 was the summer of love. I mean, it was mm. just amazing. Yeah, absolutely mm. incredible, that, that, yeah. that period of time. Yeah. And um, so really, um, you know, it's psychedelia that links um, Jeff Beck and David Crosby. Mm. Yeah. Those, old, those, those guys... They invented psychedelia, and mm. uh, that's what links them. And um, thank you, thank mm. you very much, Jeff and David, for making those fantastic records. Yeah, great. They still sound as fresh as ever, don't they? Especially on vinyls we played. Yeah, we were talking about Paul Samuel Smith, mm. uh, who was uh, a handsome grandma. Mm -hmm. Of course, I was there. I was there when I was fourteen in October nineteen sixty four. Um, 
a band was formed by guys who was who were doing their A levels called the Others. Yeah, yeah, we've reported, we saw them for years back, didn't we? And you've done a report on their reunions <laughs> over the years. We did. We went to the gig, the reunion gig in uh, in Sunbury mm. in uh, in two thousand and fifteen. Yeah, and uh, I went to see them. Last year, doing another reunion gig at, mm. uh, at, at Richmond Athletic Ground, and um, uh, their um, recording of "Oh Yeah" was the only recording they ever made because they made that fantastic recording, and um, then they were told to get back to school by their parents, and they <laughs> did. You know, oh dear yeah. me, I wonder if they regret it. <laughs> no. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never asked Paul Stewart, who I've got to know in recent years, if he, if yeah. he regretted it. But, uh, you know, I mean, we, we knew the others at, at school, and we just want, you know, we admired them because we wanted our hair long too, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they were a few years older than us, and the same age as... Um, Queen's Brian May, who also went to Hampton. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, we all wanted to be um, a bit different from our parents and uh, grow our hair long. We were in constant battles uh, <laughs> with, our, with our parents back then. But um, because the others were our own band, we, yeah, we yeah. all went out and bought that, that record, Oh Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, of course, played it to death. You know, it was it was a great record, and I think um, I think even now I think it sounds as great now as when it was released in '64. So this is "Oh Yeah" by the Others. Oh yeah, oh yeah, everything's gonna be all right this morning. Got a little woman, she's very tall She likes to love me, the best of all She's my woman, my all in all She's my lover in my ball We roll around, have a lot of fun She whispers in my ear and says, you're the one Said oh yeah, said oh yeah
know we roll around I have a lot of fun She whispers in my ear and says You're the one Said oh yeah Said oh yeah Well, how was that for an ending, Steve? Great, great cover of Bo Diddley. Oh, that's just, what a fine record that was. You know, recorded by a bunch of Hampton Grammar School 18-year-old lads. You know, it just just oozes music, oozes blues, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all from Middlesex, you're all... Yeah, all Middlesex lads. lads, Yeah, I just, it's, it's as fresh now as it was... Mm. 60 years ago yeah, for God's it's sake it's, it's an incredible record yeah. I think this is the only others recording from that period you know? yeah. it was just unbelievably great so they just did the one single they just did the one single on Fontana and that was it yeah mm. that was it and uh, Fontana a great label to get yeah, released on and it was uh, it took me 50 uh, and of course when they were gigging around that era, I was too young to go to the gigs. They were doing a gig in Hamworth where I was living and my mum wouldn't let me go up the road to the Labour Club. It was only 100 yards from my house. You know, She said, no, you're too young. Can't go. And she oh, mum, come on. She wouldn't let me go. I said, they're, they're schoolmates of mine. She said, no, you can't go. She said, there's all those drug addicts up there. She's probably right. But that was it. But... Um, you know, it's strange. I've got to. I've I, over the last few years got. I've got to know uh, since the reunion gig at Sunbury, two thousand fifteen. Mm. I've I, I've met Paul on a number of Paul Stewart, the singer and 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 harp player, on a number of occasions. Yeah. You know, he's he's um, played with the Great Western Groove at our local pub in uh, at the Brewery Tap in Brentford with mm. Bob Hokum and Steve King. Mm. And he still just oozes blues. He's mm. a fantastic singer and, and uh, as I said, harmonica player and lovely mm. bloke. And he's done some new recording with, yeah, um, yeah. with another old Hamptonian, um, Tim Staffel. Who was yeah. who was at uh, school uh, with um, also with Brian May and he was in the band with Brian May Smile, mm. uh, which um, Freddie Mercury joined, yeah, and became Queen. And then Tim Tim left around the same time as Freddie joined. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Tim plays fantastic guitar. He's a great great guitar player and him and Paul uh, recorded a really fantastic album of blues and R&B a couple of years ago called How High with them um, Steve King and Paul White from the Great West Groove and um, and here's a song from the album written by Paul Stewart and Rob Tolchard from the others Wrong Place Wrong Time Yeah, well. 
his picture He put a number on my chest Then I heard they found some fibers On my vest, on my vest I was in the wrong place At the wrong time She picked the wrong face She pulled me out of the line A man on the stand as an alibi He won't remember my name I can't plead the fifth day of bank It's a pack of lies And place me right in the frame Tim Staffel and Paul Stewart, and that was Wrong Place, Wrong Time from the How High album. Another reference to high there. I wonder wonder if they were talking about flying 30,000 feet in the air. Well, (laughs) you know, we're all old hippies around here, Steve. We're we're up there all the time, most. Yeah. And you said they're still playing, so any I mean any fans of good old um, 60s R&B and uh, well it's still going. And uh, if you like the, the rock and roll history, um, check them out. They're still playing around Brentford and West London. And you if know? you, I think if you if you want a copy of that album, uh, check out Tim Staffel's website. Yeah, yeah, we'll put links at retromanblog.com to all the stuff we're talking about. So if you're interested, you and you want to buy any of the music or books or events or stuff that we're tickets to gigs if we're talking about then. Check retromanblog.com and I'll put a, a feature with all the relevant links. 
And it's funny because we were talking about that area, and I, I, I was just did a little walking tour around Ealing the other day. Um, you know, obviously we're we're not far from Twickenham and Richmond and all the great musical heritage. And I saw the old. I hadn't been there before, but I saw where the old Ealing Art College was, where Pete Townsend went, and of course Freddie Mercury was there, wasn't he? You mentioned it there. That's, That's uh, right. The know. Ealing Club. And the, I saw the Ealing Club, Alexis Corners Club, where the Rolling Stones first played. That's right. Brian Jones. And I mean, there were a lot of places to see bands around West London in the sixties. Eelpie Island, the Ricky Tick, Barrow College. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fantastic. Mm. The Starlight Ballroom. The Starlight Ballroom up in Sudbury is where I went to see my first gig. Yeah. In early 66, I was 15. I was still 15. Yeah. I remember cycling over to my mate Dave's house in Ealing, and then we took the tube up to Sunbury. Yeah. And uh, queued outside the Starlight Ballroom Mm. and got in see Stevie Wonder oh wow yeah yeah it was amazing I mean it was absolutely incredible it was packed and we managed to get in I don't know about getting we got tickets on the night we just queued up and and got in it was incredible I I couldn't believe it we we were trying to all you know hiding under high collars and stuff and hats because we looked so young (laughs) but um, (laughs) I, I mean it was amazing. I saw Stevie Wonder there, and um, I'll never forget that gig at all. It was just amazing. And I want the song I remember him playing, which is a big hit that year, is Uptight. Just baby, everything is alright. Uptight, I 
Oh, you can stop dancing now. Sit yeah, down. I th- Sit down. yeah, Sit we down. can stop. Uh, that's just. I mean, <laughs> that that blows me away. Yeah, yeah. As much as it did when I first heard it sixty years ago. I mean, Can't almost believe. sixty years ago. It's just what a great production. Yep. Fantastic thumping beat. Mm. Brilliant backup vocals. Stevie yeah. Wonder's soaring voice. It's just got everything. Uh, no wonder I fell in love with the uh, Motown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're actually holding this well, like historic artifact here. This is your original 1965 single. It um, is. And it's Tamla. It's sort of a pre-Tamla Motown, you said. That's it's right. Record, so. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that's the original record. Sounds amazing, isn't it? It's yeah. almost like a, it's almost like a, like a Phil Spector type wall of sound, isn't it? On that record, it just unbelievable, sounds immense, you know? unbelievable. And when you think that's the same age as me, that record, and it, it sounds is. a lot better than I do. It is. I, I mean, you. it was it was really strange because twenty five years later, I met and photographed Stevie Wonder and asked if asked him if he remembered that night. And because as he came close to the stage, the crowds had stretched stretch their arms upwards so he knew where the edge of the stage was. So they were touching him and he was coming right to the edge of the stage. And Stevie said he really felt the love when he was playing gigs in this country. Mm. And I asked him to sign my original copy of yeah. Uptight, and he, which you are holding now, Steve. And he got out an ink pad and pressed his thumbs into it and inked the cover of my record which I treasure, and it still plays loud after yeah. almost 60 years, doesn't it? And I'm looking at it now. Yeah. Um, Stevie Wonder's thumbprints, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, amazing, you know. Yeah. So um, I might keep that and stick it on eBay. And that <laughs> <record>. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. Fantastic record. And it still yeah. sounds... I know, another one that just sounds so perfect. Oh, it? just unbelievable. What a great record. We, we, were, we were so lucky in the 60s, being brought up in the 60s, having records like that coming out. It was yeah. just unbelievable. It was such an exciting time to be a teenager. Yeah. Unbelievable. And to see him play just down the road from you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I became a regular gig goer over the next couple of years, seeing John Mayle, Arthur Brown, The Pretty Things at Q Boathouse, The Nice, Joe Cocker and Cream mm. playing on several, several occasions, most mm. notably... One night at St Mary's College in Twickenham, 1968, mm. we'll be snuck in through the toilet windows because it was sold <laughs> out. But it was, it was incredible. You know that scene, that West London scene was 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 fantastic. And, you know you yeah. could see, you, you know you could see Stevie Wonder one night, and you could see uh, the pretty things the next night. It was just, yeah. it was phenomenal. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, we've done a recent podcast where I went down to Eel Pie Island Museum. Hmm. And um, spoke to them down there, and we had a we, we walked around. Me and Buddy Ascot of the Chords, and mm. they they showed us around, and we did a really fascinating sort of look around the museum. And they talked us through all the exhibits and the history of the place. And so, Retrosonic Podcast Special on Eel Pie Island. It's uh, mm. well worth listening to because it goes into all the history of the area and how important it was. Eel Pie Island, Richmond, Twickenham. Well, that's a really yeah. excellent. That the Eel Pie Museum has a really excellent website. Yeah, and yeah. there's a timeline there which um uh, which gives you all the gigs at Eel Pie Island as well, mm-hmm. which is really superb. Yeah, so I recommend. People popping along if you're down in the area, Richmond, Twickenham, especially Eel Pie Island Museum. It's, mm-hmm. it's just fantastic. You know, I, re- I, it's, uh, I really enjoyed our, our time down there. I love what they're doing. And it's just great to see people with enthusiasm trying to keep that heritage alive. Because mm. musical, cultural heritage is sort of destroyed in this country. Venues have gone. 
people have got no no regard from it from a council or government point of view, and it's just so no, lovely to see I individuals mean, and volunteers doing this. What know? we realise, of course, is the cultural value of rock and roll in this country is massive, yeah. absolutely massive. Yeah, definitely, I totally agree. You know, and uh, so I've done it. I, I sort of had a good walk around Twickenham, looked at some, some of the sites because you had all like the Eel Pie Studios where the Who were and Pete Townsend lived, and you've got all the the Stones locations, Richmond Hill, you know, you've got Ronnie Wood's amazing house on the top of the hill, Mick yeah. Jagger's place, the mm. Crawdaddy Club, the Ealing Club. Now, there's hardly anything West London, is there? Not hardly any venues, gone. you know, but... Um, it's so just it's memories. Short. Yeah, but you've got, luckily you've got a lot of memories to talk about. Well... And your next memory? The next memory is uh, probably a few years after this. It's 19... Probably... 19, yeah, it's 1971, and I'm... I'm in my hippie period, my first hippie period, and uh, I've been sort of travelling around the USA and ended up in Chatham, Cape Cod in Massachusetts, working on a fishing boat and surrounded by hippies uh, who uh, and living <laughs> at this um, at this old um, a motel called Sleepy Hollow, along with a load of other hippies. It was fantastic. And... Uh, you know, all these young, intelligent lads who'd escaped various places around Massachusetts and come down to Cape Cod to escape the draft because the mm. Vietnam War was really raging at that time. Mm. And, uh, of course, I'm naturally surrounded by music lovers and dope smokers. And uh, one day I'm around at my friend Ron's place and I hear this um, amazing bluesy swamp rock album uh, by a guy called Link Ray. Oh. And I didn't know anything about Link Ray at the time. I, 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 all these years, I'd never heard of Link Ray. I mean, I fell in love with this album and with Link Ray completely. Yeah. And it's a love affair that's lasted more than 50 years. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, an incredible album. And... Um, the next year I was back home and I went into the newly opened Virgin Records and Tapes in Notting Hill to see if I could find any of Link Ray's back catalogue. And so the young Richard Branson himself plonked the album Link Ray and the Raymen on the counter and said, this has just been released. <laughs> I went, no, shit. I said, what's that? He said, oh... This is um, some of Link's, all of Link's early hits from the 60s. It's just been compiled by this uh, guy called Ian Sippin and released on his, on his Union Pacific label. And I went, oh, I don't believe it. I mean, this is amazing. So this is early 1972. Mm. And finally, I hear Link's early recordings. Yeah. And... This is one of my favourites from that Union Pacific album called I'm Branded.
another record that sounds fantastic. And because we're, we're playing, and our listeners are only hearing the MP3 versions, but we're playing your vinyl here, and it just sounds fantastic, doesn't it? We've got all your original vinyl out, and it just sounds unbelievably uh, raw, doesn't it? That's... Oh, that, I mean, that's the Union Pacific album, uh, Link Ray and the Rayman, uh, from 1971. Wow. Great. So that's uh, 50 years old, that record. Yeah. Handed to me personally by Richard Branson, working <laughs> in the shop there. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so there you go. I mean, uh, just a great, great record. And, um, you know, you can't get anything raw than Link Ray, really. But, I mean, he's the man who invented the power chord. Well, yeah, yeah. And again, one of those records where you think about what, 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 came before punk isn't it I mean obviously we know about the Nuggets compilation Lenny Kay's Nuggets and all those garage the 60s psychedelic tracks and one mm. wonders and then obviously you had the a bit later you had the Stooges and things like that Velvet Underground but Link Ray is a, is a again a missing if you pardon the pun a missing link isn't it because he, he's he, so he, punk he is the missing link and yeah. he is he is very punk and he laid down you know all the groundwork for for, mm. for punk later. No yeah. question about it. And for psychedelia. No, no mm. question about it. Mm. You listen to that guitar. I mean, he was, uh, you know, I mean, Link, uh, Link had endured a hard upbringing uh, when he was young. You mm. know, born into a rural family. His, uh, his mother was Shawnee and he was uh, chased by the KKK. And then he ended up in the Korean War and had TB and lost lost a lung. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, he lost a lung. And I think because the doctors told him he couldn't sing, That's he was, he was a talented guitar player from, mm. as a young man. And um, I, think, I think being told he couldn't sing, uh, you know, that's what drove him to instrumental guitar. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it yeah, is, isn't it? Yeah, 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 great. But by by the early seventies, he he'd grown tired of that and kind of um, he'd started to live on his brother Vernon's um, uh, farm in Akakeet, Maryland, where Vernon had uh, installed a three-track recording studio in his old chicken house, and uh, the three-track shack was born, <laughs> and that's where. Um, that's where Link recorded the Link Ray album, yeah. and then two more albums there: Mordecai Jones in '72 and Beans and Fatback in '73, which is also which yeah. was actually released by Virgin Records. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, I mean, I I've always loved the Beans and Fatback album because it's a real slice of downhand spirituality. I mean, according to the Ace Records website, there's a spontaneous feel to the music which sparks it greedily into life. And the Akakik Earth seems to be ground deep into every groove. Acoustic guitars, mandolins, dobros and piano paint a rustic picture of timeless valleys, ancient mountains and an endless ranch land with Link's bluesy electric guitar flowing through them like a powerful river with only floorboard stomping percussion keeping it tethered to its course. <laughs> and from those sessions and from the Beans and Fatback album, this is Beans and Fatback 
followed by I'm so glad, I'm so proud.
raw guitar again, isn't it? Cuss, amazing that sound he gets on that guitar. Oh, just cuts through. That mm. is such a great slice of swamp rock, isn't it? And yeah. Link's voice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he got his voice back after playing guitar only for 12 years between 58 and, and 1970. He got his voice back in the mm. in the the three track shack in Akakeet, Maryland. Mm-hmm. It was just hearing that in late seventy one. I mean, mm. I was blown away. Really, I, listening to Link that, that that first Link Ray album. Yeah, I just thought, where's this guy come from? It was just it, there's so much soul, and it just feels so close to the earth for me. And then. Later on, discovering all Link's early recordings, mm. everything started to make sense. Yeah, and then I've been a massive Link fan my whole life since mm. then. Yeah, well, I mean, we we played. I'm so glad in the when we did a podcast with you a few years ago, when we look back at your specifically on your career as a rock photographer, mm. and you picked out. I'm so glad, and and Link has been one of the big influences on your musical photography career so you actually did get to meet him and photograph I did him. I yeah. did I photographed I've, I mean the first time I photographed Link was um, the night before the first my first part finals of my university degree in um, June 75 he played at the Lyceum and I had to go mm-hmm. <laughs> I just had to go you know <laughs> I still got the photographs from that gig I was just starting to take a few rock photos then yeah. But it was fantastic, and I met him backstage, and it was wonderful. And then uh, I didn't see him for a couple of years until he came over with um, Robert Gordon in 78. Yeah. Made a couple of tours with Robert Gordon. I got to see him again and chatted to Link. And then uh, I've, uh, I, I saw him a number of times in the 80s and photographed him in Soho and had lunch with him. And he he was just such a... A lovely person with such great stories. Well, yeah. You know, one of just, and he loved punk too. Yeah. yeah. He, this yeah. was right during the during the middle of punk, and he loved punk. Yeah. He said it was, hey, this is real rock and roll, just a bit faster. You know, <laughs> right? But uh, he, he, you know, he's just one of the great legends of rock and roll. Yeah. And one of the masters and one of the. One of the timeless masters of rock and roll, isn't he? Yeah, definitely, and a huge influence on, say, garage rock, punk, Billy Childish, and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, and a cool dude as well. Look bloody cool. very cool dude, you know. So what's next, Paul? What have you got lined up? Well, I, you know, last year I got a call from my agency saying that um, um, the Grateful Dead wanted to use four of my pictures for their new CD project, Mm. which turned out to be In and Out of the Garden, a 17-CD collection of live concerts at Madison Square Garden in New York. 17 CDs? Yes, 17 CDs of of, uh, dead concerts at Madison Square uh, between uh, 80 and 83. I mean, Mm. it's huge. Yeah. I mean... must weigh a couple of kilos. I mean, I've got some great <laughs> pictures in there of uh, Bob Weir, Phil Lesh, Jerry Garcia, plus a band shot too. And yeah. that package has won a Grammy. Wow. Yeah, it's won a Grammy. And because it's a Grammy Award winner, 
I'm going to get a Grammy certificate as a contributor. <laughs> Fantastic. Yay, I finally get recognition as a rock photographer. I've never got anything, mate. <laughs> Nothing. Well, you get your own podcast. You know. Yeah, I get the own, my own podcast. But, I mean, yeah, it's, it's incredible, really. I, I'm, 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 I'm really chuffed. Yeah. And, um, you know, to celebrate that, I've got to play my favourite dead track of all time which is Cream Puff Wars. That I'm actually quite blown away by that. I mean, I've, I'm not a Grateful Dead fan in the slightest. So I, I'm, and I, I don't know a lot of their work. Let's be honest. But I'd never have guessed that that was a Grateful Dead if you just played it to me without saying it. It's bloody amazing. It is amazing. That Christ. is an amazing track. And, and it's only two and a half minutes long. It's only two and a half minutes long. <laughs> I know. I know the Dead became a different animal later on in their mm-hmm. lives, and. Um, you know, they would take a three-minute song and it would last 15 minutes in the gig. And, they, of course, they would legendarily play three-hour yeah. gigs. Yeah, but uh, that, that's, was, that's like a classic bit of garage nuggets. It is. Rock and roll, isn't it? You know? It is. It is. A, a, it's a classic bit of psychedelic punk, yeah, isn't it? Love it. You know, it, it, it just reminded me, I was thinking when listening to it, it's a little bit like love. Yeah. A, bit, a little bit like Rocky Erickson, a bit of love. I love the organ bubbling away in the background. Yeah, Jerry Garcia's guitar. guitar. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Bob Weir on vocals. Wow. Just amazing song. Oh, okay. Well, that's nice to be surprised yeah, by yeah. something like that. I know? mean, uh, you know, the Dead are a band of... Um, a fantastic band. Uh, obviously, I think the box set is for 
it's for Dead Cook and Senti and big big fans, and uh, and there's a lot of them around. Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of them would be happy to listen to all those um, CDs. But if you if you're starting to get into the Dead, I think um, their first album, The Grateful Dead, is a great album to start on. Well, I'm certainly going to give it more of a listen now. You know, yeah. I'll probably skip the 17 CD box set if you don't mind. Mm, but mm, um, mm, <laughs> but it's a fantastic thing. I mean, well, thing. It's just a huge. I mean, you know, I saw it around your place. You know, it's this huge box, and it's one of those things which is great. But for a record collector, how are you going to file it? Let's be honest. Yeah, it is a beautiful <laughs> artifact. It's like a long book with all the cds in it and i mean it's, i think it's 150 quid but, yeah god you know it's probably worth that for the artwork alone yeah yeah yeah. really which the is packaging. amazing and it the even, packaging is like it even came in a special mind-blowing yeah, but yeah, yeah. um i think i think the dead you know for punk aficionados the dead are kind of on the other side of the street really but mm. for me i was brought up with the dead and um i've always liked them mm. Mm. and uh, but i do i've always loved that track in particular because mm. it, it's the last track on the first album i ever bought and i've oh, it's always caught my fancy cream puff yeah. war no, great always track. loved it yeah, yeah great track but, um, well, congratulations on having your photos included and on the Grammy certificate. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I can't wait for my Grammy certificate now. Mm. Put that on my wall. Yeah. Can you put some letters after your name or anything? Like, yeah, uh, I'm going to put... Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Grammy award winning. Yeah, GWI, Grammy winning idiot. Yeah. <laughs> well... Uh, yeah, I must admit you've um, turned me on to the Grateful Dead there, mate. So thank you very much indeed. Good, good. Well, I think everybody needs to be turned on to the Grateful Dead at one time or another. Thanks very much, Paul. Great talking to you as always. And I'm sure we'll be back together again a bit sooner.